0: And let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Acts, uh, chapter 8 this morning, or this evening. Sunday nights through the Bible, uh, Genesis to Revelation, and now Acts, chapter 8. Now, Saul was consenting to his death, and that is to the death of Stephen, the first martyr in the early church. Um, I look forward to meeting uh, everybody one day in heaven that's going to be there. And uh, I really look forward to meeting Stephen. And uh, what a witness, and what a kind of a... um, not a burning star, but this bright flash of such beauty on the pages of Scripture and how faithful he was to stand and to be faithful to God in that moment that he had. And and then how he responded, not only in preaching the Word, but then also in reflecting Christ as he was being uh, stoned to death. And uh, Saul, this Saul that's referred to in verse uh, 1, this is, Uh, Saul of Tarsus, we will come to know him later in uh, the book of Acts, following his salvation he becomes ultimately the Apostle uh, Paul. I think about what it must have been like, I think that when we get to heaven, I think that as we are in heaven um, we don't have um, we won't have a consciousness of what's going on in this world The writer of the book of Hebrews talks about this great cloud of witnesses that are uh, in heaven. And I don't think that it's talking about the fact that everybody is up there gathered around some kind of screen of some kind and watching everything that's going on in the world. Can you imagine what a letdown that would be from our expectations related to heaven? So imagine there is Stephen in heaven and in heaven for decades. He knows nothing more about Saul of Tarsus than that he held the garments of the men that stoned him to death. And then the day Saul of Tarsus enters into heaven and Stephen sees him. Doesn't know the rest of the story. I don't know what they know up there. And what a conversation. I hope. Now see, heaven is in, doesn't, isn't in this whole time thing that we mess around with, but whatever that interaction that was between them when uh, the Apostle Paul enters heaven and then uh, these two meet one another, I just hope that it's filmed in some way and that if we missed it somehow, uh, that we'll be able to witness that when, uh, when it happens. And so Saul of Tarsus here, uh, uh, consenting to Stephen's death. And then at the time, this, this persecution, this martyring of Stephen, it unleashed a time of great persecution uh, against the church that was in Jerusalem and virtually the whole church at that time, church speaking of Christians worldwide, but virtually every Christian in the world was concentrated in the city of Jerusalem. And so Jesus had talked about uh, this taking the gospel out, Christians going out into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, reaching the uh, entire world. And what was it going to take to shoehorn these Christians out of their comfort zone in the city of Jerusalem to fulfill that great commission to take this message to the whole world. Well, uh, God is going to allow their little safe world to be rocked there in Jerusalem through persecution in order to drive them out into the rest of the world so that they could carry the most valuable thing that they possessed and that was the about salvation through Christ into the world. And so this great persecution arises against them. They were scattered throughout uh, uh, the regions of Judea and Samaria. Everyone was driven out here, out of Jerusalem, except for the apostles. They remained in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Of of Jerusalem. So now the gospel goes not only Jerusalem, but now here Judea and Samaria. The next jump will be the uttermost parts of the earth as we get to that in the book of Acts. And so uh, all of this occurs. There is a very (laughs) real sense in which the Apostle Paul uh, his, uh, his very first uh, missionary journey that he was responsible for is found right here in verse one. I know he 's going to go on three other missionary journeys and then ultimately find his way in Rome, but he is the the sole kind of producer of the sending missionaries into the whole world, and uh, as the Christians. Uh, headed out. And so uh, as they headed out, and it's a good principle for us to remember related to our own lives, persecution building there in Jerusalem. And um, when somebody uh, is not interested in the message that we carry related uh, to Christ, uh, then there isn't a necessity of Uh, throwing our pearls before swine, so to speak, or to beat our head against the wall, but to move on to the next person. And uh, so Jerusalem has, not everybody saved in Jerusalem, but Jerusalem has been reached with the gospel by this time. And now persecution is arising, and so now it's time for them to look and say, let's go find uh, who will be eager to listen to this message, and receive it and that's true related to uh, our our own lives they are out there uh, so they could have kept trying there in jerusalem and jerusalem in just the little confines of jerusalem jesus knows there's a whole world waiting to hear this and he drives them out the fact that you and i are sitting in these seats tonight rather than having as christians already been raptured up into heaven is a, a communication to each of us as Christians is that there are still people in this world waiting to hear this gospel, and when they do, they will respond to it until the final Gentile comes in uh, 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 into the kingdom of God, and then the rapture occurs, and on with the whole end times uh, scenario. And so... God just moves them on to another group that He knows are eager for the message. And we're told that devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation uh, over him. And so here is uh, Stephen. This is his memorial service. And his death uh, was greatly mourned. So there's the old saying uh, uh, about life, live uh, so as to be missed. Uh, when we're gone. There is a whole world of people who die and are not missed. Uh, their name is a is a curse word within their family or in their community or in human history because they didn't live a life uh, uh, that would uh, leave some kind of a, a significant hole in them, other people or to produce a lamentation. But that's even, what's happening here is even more than that. There's a whole world of people who die and their death is lamented, but it's not lamented by the devout. It's not lamented by the godly. And here you have Stephen, he lived in such a way as to be missed and to be missed by the devout, to be missed by the godly in this world. In other words, when he left in terms of the kingdom of God, he left a void. He left a void in people's hearts. Uh, He left a void on the wall of Christian service. And uh, surely when these kind of things happen, people wonder, you know, even sometimes with God, how can it it seem like we can afford to lose uh, people like this in the prime of their life? And, and 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 with men and women like this in such short supply, and so there was this this lamentation and 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 it speaks to on the on the part of the, the godly a lamentation to how well uh he he lived his uh, life so often when you're at a memorial service uh you'll have somebody who will speak and uh, and they'll you, you know, get up and, and they 'll speak in a eulogy, and they 'll say well so and so lives on in all of us, and we know that the person doesn 't really live on in all of us they don 't mean that um, and but their influence lives on uh, in in all of us and so uh, so it did in these in, in the in the lives of the devout and uh, and so uh, in order for that. That influence that affects even the the godly it requires a life to be like Stephen that needs to be a priority. The interesting thing that sometimes we don't realize for us as Christians is that um, there, if somebody had said this at his memorial service, well, you know, Stephen he lives on in all of us. You know, his influence lives on in all of us, and everybody that knew him, everybody that was a Christian, could say, yes, it certainly does. But what they could not have known, and Stephen certainly didn't know, is that that Stephen's influence lived on in this guy named Saul. And uh, that influence of his life, not just the message he preached, but the relationship that he had with God that was a million miles away. Do you think the Apostle Paul before he got saved or Saul of Tarsus would have handled a stoning at the hands of religious men in the way that, that Stephen did? There is not a chance. This guy's a fighter down to, uh, you know, brass knuckles. And so everything about Stephen's life, his teaching and the life that he had with him and God, the faith that he had in God. Continued to uh, impact uh, Stephen un- or, or Paul, Saul of Tarsus, even uh, beyond what anybody could understand at the time. And the impact was so great that Saul uh, made, verse 3, havoc of the church there in Jerusalem, dr- entering every house, dragging off men and women, and committing them to prison. So we're going to find out later as we go through the book of Acts, that the the impact that this message that Stephen had preached, how it, what it had upon Saul. But Saul, at this point in time in his life, he is not interested in believing uh, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that he is... Uh, the Jewish Messiah and the Savior of the world. And that salvation is based solely upon faith in Him and not upon works, which is what the Jewish religious system was teaching and that Paul was completely steeped in. And so he's not an honest learner or an honest seeker after truth at this time. He realizes because he's no doubt a part of the group that disputed with Stephen and could not... um, Uh, defeat him in a a debate biblically related to Jesus as the Messiah. And so what he does now is rather than uh, going into kind of a dark, quiet place for a while and working through these things, uh, in his carnality, the solution is to destroy any religious influence and any religious person, namely a Christian, that represents a threat to the interpretation of the Old Testament that Paul had. Again, uh, w- when we talk about uh, the fact that when we must artificially protect our position, it is not only a confession of the weakness of our position, but it is a confession that we are aware of its weakness. And Paul is very aware of the weakness of what it is that he believes under his rabbis and what it is that stephen uh said in in the handling uh, of the scriptures that's why for us as christians the our two weapons in advancing um the gospel in the world uh are m16s and uh bazookas you can tell How up I am on modern weaponry? (laughs) So uh, B.A.R. rifles. So there we go, World War II reference. Uh, But uh, and 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 but the most powerful weapons in in the spiritual battle and warfare that we're involved in, the two most powerful weapons are love and they are uh, truth. And so as long as we can be given kind of a a, a fair, uh, a fair. Uh, playing field uh, on this those things will prevail in a way that weapons and force and oppression uh, never have in human history and and never uh, will So here is is Saul he makes havoc of the church He enters into every house of these Christians and he drags off men and women committing them to prison When's the last time you had someone break into your house? When is the last time they broke into your house and they dragged you out of the house? When is the last time a religious person entered into your house, broke down the front door and came in, and then dragged your wife out of the house? If we don't see a soul of tarsus for the absolute monster that he was before he became a christian i mean what kind of a sense of arrogance and self-importance and self-entitlement can even make it enter into your mind that you can do that to another human being and yet he thinks nothing of it at all and there's nothing wrong with absolutely being appalled and, and hating what he was before he became saved. And Paul doesn't hide his past when he gives his testimony repeatedly in the Scriptures. Because if we don't understand this about him, we'll lose that, the marvel related to his salvation and the marvel of the miracle that his life was and became. Because otherwise we'll just look at him as a misguided theological uh, student in Jerusalem under the famous uh, Rabbi Gamaliel. and uh, uh, And then somehow the light went on for him concerning Christ and he became this great man that he was in Judaism, now in Christianity. That's not who he was at all. He was a monster, a bloodthirsty animal and and doing everything he can to wipe out the voice of christianity and the name of jesus that we sang about tonight in terms of the power of that name wipe it off the face of the earth that's who he is and the scriptures don't hide uh, him from being that and therefore uh, those who were scattered uh, as a result of the persecution went everywhere uh, doing exactly what God knew that they would do and that is to preach the word and it's important for us if we're being persecuted uh, related to our Christian faith and the gospel and that persecution uh, drives us out of some kind of a place or some kind of a group or whatever it might be uh, then to take that message with us into that that new place and and uh, see the sovereignty of God uh, in uh, in all of that. And so here is this uh, uh, Apostle Paul, uh, I mean, the, uh, Saul of Tarsus to become the Apostle Paul, and, uh, uh, and uh, trying to uh, stamp out this fire early on, and all he did is just send the sparks all over the place through the world. I, I like that, that one verse in Psalm 76.10, where the psalmist says to God, Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. And God makes the wrath of man against Him to praise Him every single time. Though it can take some time to see that He's doing it. It's important to believe and to know that He is doing that. And to understand that about all of the wrath of man being directed against God today. And we just sit and, we, and say to ourselves, wait and see what God is going to do with this, with that kind of, of expectation. He will work it for his purposes. And then there's the shift of gears now. Uh, to uh, Philip, one of the seven deacons that was appointed a deacon, uh, along with Stephen, Stephen is now uh, in heaven he 's completed his ministry. We get introduced to a second of these uh, these deacons and uh, and uh, uh, and and kind of the, one of the first missionaries, uh, Stephen, the the first martyr in the early church. Philip becomes one of the first missionaries in the early church. That was quite a uh, quite a set of deacons they had there in that early church. And again, I I can't say enough about that office of a deacon within, within a church. And so he went down to the city of Samaria. Uh, Samaria, a lot of tension between the Jews and the Samaritans there. Presumably he went to Samaria, the capital of the region known as Samaria. And then he preached uh, Christ to them. And uh, the multitudes with one accord, here they are, they're just waiting to hear. God knew it. They hated the things spoken uh, by Philip, what, did he pre- uh, what were they hearing and spoken by Philip? Right there in verse 5. He preached Christ to them. They heeded it. They, they gave attention to it and believed in it. And then hearing and seeing the miracles which uh, uh, Philip then did. So he is preaching the word of God. God is coming in alongside after that, that preaching of faith in Christ and He's adding His witness of miracles to confirm the Word of God with accompanying signs and miracles. The faith comes first. <clears throat> the message comes first. And then God confirms the message through the signs and wonders. So he's leaving his fingerprints all over this. And then not only was there uh, hearing and and seeing the miracles, but unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were uh, demon-possessed. This was going on as a demonstration of God's power. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy uh, in that uh, city, and then if you jump down there, and in verse twelve, but when they believed Philip, uh, and that that word believe there is is the same word in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here they are believing unto salvation, so that not only these miracles they hear the preaching, but they put their faith in Christ. They believed Philip. Uh, as he preached of things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, and then both men and women uh, were baptized. And so here you have what is known uh, sometimes as the Samaritan uh, Day of Pentecost. And certainly it, it's a, a good title uh, for that. And then in verse 9, that, that interesting word continually in the Bible, uh, the first word of verse 9, but. So now in contrast to all of this joy, all of this wonder working uh, of God that he is doing, there was a certain man there in Samaria uh, called Simon, who had previously practiced sorcery uh, in the city so, uh, and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great. And so he's not a huckster. He's not a phony. Uh, he is tapped into demonic power. And uh, so he used sorcery uh, to uh, kind of bewitch the people in Samaria. So there is a tendency that people can have that uh, when they see something supernatural occur, that they automatically assume that that must be God or that must be someone who is worthy of worship because it's supernatural. It's beyond what anything that we can do. And so uh, here they are. Uh, he, he has bewitched them. Uh, in all of this, and they're, and, and they're believing in whatever his trip is, is uh, all about. They give uh, great uh, stature in, in their minds to this man by the name of Simon. But of course, there are a couple main realms within uh, the, the supernatural realm. There's God's realm, and there's a demonic realm. Just because something is supernatural doesn't mean necessarily that it's from God. And and he t- and Simon the sorcerer he used that ignorance in people's life to uh, to seduce them and to fool them, and to whom verse ten they all gave heed, uh, from the least to the greatest, saying this man is the great power of God. He was nothing of the sort, but that's the conclusion that they came to, and that he let them come to, and they heeded him because he had astonished them uh, with his sorceries uh, for. Uh, a long time. And so uh, uh, th- this is this great uh, kind of uh, power encounter that occurs here as as Philip comes on the scene. You've got this ca- power encounter between the kingdom of darkness that Simon is all about and the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God that's, that Philip is all about and what Philip is all about uh, wows everybody in terms of its reality and beauty to such a degree uh, that nobody's paying attention to Simon the Sorcerer anymore. God always wins those power uh, encounters. And so this, uh, this, uh, he's, the devil is lost and Simon has lost uh, in this. And so, uh, Simon, uh, he, he recognized that, again verse 12, when they believed, all, everybody believed unto faith, uh, 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 Philip, and as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, uh, both men and women were baptized. And, then, and, and uh, there's no way that Philip would baptize anyone unless they had believed, unless they were actually uh, born again. So you're talking about born-again people here, in verse twelve. Well then Simon himself, I mean, seeing what it is that's happened, I mean in a day his whole thing is upturned and and, and upended. And so uh, he himself also believed. And when he was baptized, so he believes, trusts in Christ, and then he's baptized, and he continued then with Philip, and was amazed seeing uh, the miracles and the signs which were uh, done. And so uh, there's this great um, discussion that goes on whether Simon the sorcerer uh, became a true believer in in Jesus Christ or uh, whether he was uh, just a professor of faith in Christ but not really uh, uh, born again. And so there are those that contend that Simon was not a sincere believer, but this was all an act, uh, despite the fact that we're told here that he believed in the gospel and he was also water baptized by none other than Philip. Uh, and the reason that they, they uh, think he's not a sincere believer in the face of that is because of uh, Peter's rebuke of Simon when Simon a little later in the chapter is going to offer him money so that he can have the power to lay hands on people and they can receive uh, the Holy Spirit as, uh, as well. And, uh, and 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 uh, his uh, Peter's response to that, as we'll see in a moment, was a very very uh, strong response against him. Uh, others uh, look at what is said here about uh, Simon the sorcerer, and and uh, and they look at what he said, they look at what he did, and and they and I, I number myself among them. Uh, think that as wrong and as misguided as Simon the Sorcerer is in, in his salvation here at this point, uh, the, uh, there, uh, what is happening here uh, is probably what the only thing that you could expect from someone coming out of a demonic background. Everything's for sale. Everything is whatever uh, in, in play. And so I, I, um, I don't know um, how spiritually mature you were the first week after you got saved, but I suspect we all said some pretty stupid things and have been guilty of some pretty dumb things and even some pretty wrong things uh, that we didn't know any better. It's a new kingdom. It's a new culture. It's a new everything. So I look at him, and and the Bible says that uh, love believes all things, and I look at it, and when in doubt, go with grace. And I hope to one day see Him uh, in, in heaven. But I think a very strong case can be built for the fact that He, he was very much a believer, and, but coming out of the background that He is coming from, uh, He just flubs it big time in a way that some of us who come to know the Lord from a more uh, clean or sanctified background, uh, might be appalled at, um, but uh, nonetheless, it's just the the kind of thing that can uh, happen when you come up out of a, a goofed up uh, background. And, and some of us uh, came to the Lord uh, out of that. So we're fairly compassionate toward, uh, toward uh, Simon the sorcerer. And so here he is. He's, he's believed. He's uh, water baptized. And in verse 14, uh, when the apostles who were still in Jerusalem, they heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent the apostles Peter and John to them. So this great revival breaks out in Samaria, and everybody says, okay, what's... uh, who's? Did an apostle go to Samaria and start preaching the gospel? How did this happen? And somebody said, it's Philip out there doing this. What?! We've got a revival in the hands of a mere deacon. Let's get some apostles out there. Someone that knows what they're doing. <laughs> so they send uh, Peter and John uh, out there to see if they can be of some uh, assistance here who when they had come down to, uh, to Samaria, they then uh, prayed for all of these new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Wait a second. You can't be a Christian without having received the Holy Spirit into our lives. That's what makes us Christians. So how is it that Philip would preach the Gospel, they would believe, John 3.16, believing for, for salvation, he water baptizes them, and they haven't yet received the Holy Spirit? What's going on here? And then it's explained for us in verse 16. For, that's an important word, is yet he had fallen, and circle it, upon none of them. It takes us all the way back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And the three experiences that are the relationship of every Christian with the Holy Spirit. He is with us, para. He is in us. En in the Greek. In in our language. He indwells us. And then the third Great experience that Jesus talked about. The baptism with the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit coming upon us in order to give us the power to live a life like Christ in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. That is anywhere that God may take us in the whole wide world. And that's what they hadn't received yet was the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Not uh, talking about Uh, uh, salvation at this point. Uh, They had only been baptized in the name uh, of the Lord. And so they immediately come uh, on this scene and uh, they immediately recognize this need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Uh, And uh, these two, Peter and John, they were present when Jesus spoke about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Philip might not have been. His theology is still developing. they come on the scene, let's make sure that these Christians not only have the Holy Spirit with them and in them, but they need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit as well. And so immediately they uh, make that the issue of, of their prayer. They laid hands on them, verse 17, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, this I want to spend just a moment here on what is this seeming very odd uh, sequence of, ve- of events here related to the Holy Spirit. It certainly drives some uh, Bible students absolutely crazy, and, but I think there's a very simple explanation uh, for it. So, the sequence of events, just to get in our minds, Philip preached the gospel to the Samaritans and the people of the city. They believed the message uh, concerning Christ that Philip preached. Further, Philip then proceeded to baptize them, so they're clearly Christians, or he wouldn't have baptized them. And yet, back in Jerusalem, the apostles hear about this revival. They send Peter and John. When they arrived, they prayed for these uh, these new Samaritan believers, laid hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet he had not fallen upon them. And this passage here in Acts chapter 8, it helps clear up Uh, two areas of controversy surrounding uh, the Holy Spirit and the baptism with the Holy Spirit. First of all, uh, here we have the baptism uh, with the Holy Spirit occurring in a Christian's life after their salvation. How long that period is, we don't know. But there was a block of time between when they were born again and then they were baptized with the Holy Spirit uh spirit coming uh uh, uh, upon them and so they had had not yet received this baptism with the holy spirit which means that christians myself included uh, we cannot be dogmatic related to this baptism with the holy spirit or the person and work of the holy spirit at all in declaring that when a christian is born again they have uh all every experience and and all uh, 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 every kind of uh, uh experience of the holy spirit in their life we receive all of that fullness every christian does the moment we're born again here you have an example in scripture where that didn't happen there is a period of time between being saved and baptized with the holy spirit and and for there to be that kind of wiggle room related to the holy spirit and our understanding of this why would god wait i don't know i just know that it's here i just know that when my wife karen was born again she received the with the in the upon all in a moment for me he comes into my life when I commit my life to the Lord and it would be a period of weeks before I would be baptized uh, with the Holy, uh, Holy Spirit. And so um, here uh, we have to be careful of talking with somebody who maybe is being co- continually defeated by sin. They say, I have no power to stand for Christ in my, my life or my family. I have no power uh, against uh against temptation i have my have no power to live a life like christ in any environment in a closet by myself and then a christian can say well you got everything related to the holy spirit the moment you were born again oh great thank you very much well what i'm going to do in that situation is ask have you ever asked for the baptism with the holy spirit jesus said If you, us as as earthly fathers, uh, 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 being evil in comparison to God, know how to give good gifts to our children, and we do, how much more will our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? I'm not going to get into all of the theology with them. You're living a defeated Christian life. The solution to it is not to be born again. You're already born again, or you wouldn't care about this kind of stuff but the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And it makes us think a little more broadly about these uh, things, and a little more biblically, by the way, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The second thing that I think that this corrects, and it's a a, a dominant kind of uh, teaching within uh, Christendom, uh, is that many Christians teach that the single great evidence that a person is, uh, has been baptized with the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. And so you have to speak in tongues. Some even teach you have to be, speak in tongues in order to be saved. And then, and then a larger group say, no, you haven't received the baptism with the Holy Spirit until you speak in tongues. That is the manifestation of having received the baptism with the Holy Spirit. But here you have a group of Christians being baptized with the Holy Spirit, and there's no mention of the manifestation of the gift of tongues. And they will say, yeah, but something had to happen here. Because Simon wanted the power to be able to impart the Holy Spirit in this way. And so they will then read into silence and say it's always the gift of tongues. I personally think God has a tremendous vocabulary and a tremendous capacity for communication. And I think if He wanted to have Uh, this be tied up completely locked up 100 percent then he would have included a manifestation of tongues in this baptism with the holy spirit because four out of the five times that the baptism of the holy spirit occurs in the book of acts there is the manifestation of tongues i'm not down on the gift at all i have the gift And, and but here again the wiggle room knowing what theologians would do what Christians would do to on both extremes to either explain it away or to overqualify it and this passage in the book of uh, uh, of acts chapter 8 is is so uh, helpful in in um realizing that how god works related to this uh, this aspect of the christian life it isn't always the same way with uh everyone now uh here Uh, Simon in verse 18, um, this is one of those things where you just, you ever have a thing in your life where you say, I I wish I had just kept my mouth shut. (laughs) I think we all know that. And so when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered the apostles money. And here was the proposition. Imagine him. Here he is, he's a new Christian, and he's bringing them money in his hands. And he says, "Give me this power, also that on uh, that anyone on whom I, I uh, lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit, just like I saw uh, uh, what uh, what you have done uh, here." And so he's under the idea, and and he's trying to buy, trying to buy the power to impart to people something that God gives freely Himself. And and it's a dangerous thing in Christianity when you see people um, who will try and make a living off of some emphasis related to the Christian life and try to become a mediator of that being in your life uh, on the basis of you needing to buy something in some way in... in, uh, Uh, when God promises it freely to all of us as Christians. Peter is quick to rebuke him, said to him, your money perish with you. And uh, the uh, other translation puts it this way, your money and you can go to destruction. And and, uh, so Peter is not uh, swearing Certainly, uh, Simon here, uh, but it's a very, very strong uh, rebuke and a call to repentance. He said, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. If it can be purchased, it's not a gift. You're making the gifts of God that God declares to be gifts for His people and now you 're intimating, and you want to further this within the body of Christ, that this is something you have to buy and and Peter rebukes all of that he says, "You have neither part nor por, por, uh, portion um, in this matter, for your heart is not right with God, uh, not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore uh, of this your Uh, uh, your wickedness and pray to God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by uh, iniquity. And so he tells him uh, here, uh, you have no portion in this matter. Your heart is so out of harmony with what it is that is happening here uh, by the Holy Spirit uh, you better stay away from all of this until your heart is, is right. And he called what Simon had done here wickedness, and he called on Simon to repent of his wickedness and to ask the Lord for forgiveness. And in verse 23, Peter identifies uh, Simon's heart problem here, and that was, he was poisoned by bitterness, and perhaps the bitterness of the fact that he was uh, BMOC, big man on campus, big man in Samaria, uh, the big shot of the town until Philip comes into town and the apostles then follow him. And, uh, and now uh, everybody's attention has gone off of him and on to these, uh, these other, uh, other men. And so he desires the power to regain some kind of stature. Uh, in the in the eyes of, of the community, and so uh, he was envious, but maybe in that form and bound by uh, iniquity. Whatever was wrong in his in his heart, it was uh, iniquitous. And so uh, here is the strong rebuke by uh, Peter, and so here is Simon. This this um, you have to understand. Simon isn't um, isn't a um, a weak person. He's not a person who's not familiar with power um, and who uh, didn't like the, uh, the power. He liked the power. He liked the position that he had in people's lives in this former, uh, former condition here. And so very, very strong and influential man there in the community. And what Simon desperately needed at this time, because you can look at Peter and say, wow, that's hard. But what Simon needed at that time was someone who was even stronger than him in conviction and personality and zeal for God to withstand him at this early part of his Christian life and to, uh, and, and to have uh, be rebuked and have this uh, brought out of his life. And uh, he met that kind of a man in Simon uh, Peter. And so... Uh, uh, it takes a lot for someone you think, well, Peter just went off, and he did this now what if what if What if it wasn 't Peter there dealing with it this strongly in order to pull this thing out by the roots from simon 's life, and it was someone well? you know, I really can't do that, but it's a bad, not a bad idea, and, you know, and I can see the goodness of your heart doing it, and then they're just you know doing their hands like this and everything, and Simon is not going to be read the riot act in the way that he needs it. Have you ever had anybody read you the riot act in your Christian life? Somebody just take you? I, 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 it hasn't happened to me often. Probably should have. But it's happened a couple of times where somebody took me aside, I I wasn't doing this. But somebody strong enough, at the the time, strong enough to look and say, somebody's going to have to tell him in black and white, right at the beginning of his Christian life or his Christian ministry, uh, so that this gets removed from his life. And I've had that happen a couple of times. And I don't think Simon spent the rest of his life thinking, Boy, that, uh, or, uh, that Peter was really hard on me. And No, no, I think he, he thanked the Lord for, uh, for this kind of rebuke, rebuke early in his Christian life. And then Simon answered and he said, and I think uh, he, he, he says to Peter, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. And I, you can look at it as a cynic. I, don't, I, I choose not to read it in that way um, and say, well, he's just trying to save his skin at this point. Um, he, he, didn't mind, he doesn't mind the sin that he committed so much. He just doesn't like the consequences that Peter brought to bear uh, upon him uh, here. I don't read it that way at all. Uh, It it reads very naturally to me as someone who has been uh, born again, uh, has just said and done something extraordinarily stupid and realizes it and then now wants to be made right. I see a humble heart here. You can disagree with me, but I see someone... Uh, that didn't say, well, you can take your Christianity and just run right up on the road and see if it, and I'm going to fight you tooth and nail for every soul in this community. You think you've taken on me and I'm going to take this kind of treatment. None of that. Powerful people. People that are used to that kind of authority and influence in life. That's a response you might expect. Not the humility that you see here. And, uh, and it's a beautiful humility. So pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me." And so when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. And so here is uh, Peter and John. They make their way from Samaria, uh, the capital city. They make their way back to Jerusalem. And as they they redeem the time, as they, they head back, they obviously made a beeline there at, at first, and they take a leisurely kind of journey, and they preach the gospel in the cities and villages of Samaria that they um, that they were uh, went through on their way back to Jerusalem. And this is a light going on for uh, Peter and John, uh, this uh, very Jewish, very nationalistic and. In, in some ways and there this great looking down upon uh, the Samaritans spiritually and and here is a softening by what they're seeing that God did I mean what, Peter and John and the, and the other apostles and the average Jew would have never thought God would have an interest in Samaritans in this way and then imagine being this apostle you go into Samaria and who lives in Samaria? A bunch of Samaritans, and God uses you to lay your your hands on them and to impart the baptism of the Holy Spirit into their lives. And if that doesn't leave you humbled, I mean, it's a teachable moment for. God doesn't just love everybody that's in Jerusalem, but also in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. They're learning as God is working uh, through their lives and through this uh, this great revival that occurred there in Samaria. Well, we'll stop there tonight because you were such slow listeners tonight (laughs) that I, I wasn't able to get all the way to what comes next, and it's too important to race through. And so, let's ask the worship team to come forward and lead us in a little bit of worship, and uh, to uh, to spend some time just to, with us and the Lord, and thinking about the things that have that, that have happened here. To think about um, Stephen himself. To think about the miracle of the apostle. Uh, Apostle Paul to think about this baptism with the Holy Spirit, the wonder of the doctrines of God and these wonderful things that we've looked at tonight. So let's worship the Lord.